if you could put up that second to last slide, uh, just put it up there, and I'm going to ask you to put that up later on in the sermon. I'm, I have the privilege of preaching, and, and this is a unique circumstances. Paul called me uh, yesterday afternoon, it was about 1.30, and he said, hey, I'm really sick. He had a, has a real bad sinus infection. And, and in fact, he had a sore throat Friday, and I told him I'm going to be house-sitting my, my mom's house but if you need anything, give me a call there. If you can't preach, give me a call there. And this is what Paul said. He goes, if I'm, I'll be preaching. The only way I won't be there is if I'm dead. So I don't know. He must be really, really hurting. And uh, this, this is like the second time in six years he's called me. This is very unique in the fact we're in the middle of a marriage campaign. And I get to call, and it's real hard to come in and piggyback on what Paul's doing. And I'm not going to attempt to do that. I am going to speak on marriage, but I'm going to go in a direction that I believe the Lord led me to go. And then Paul's going to come back and continue this series on fireproofing your marriage. I want to open up my section, or open up this message with a a story. Uh, I don't know if the story is true or not. It's kind of funny. I hope you enjoy it. And there is a lot of truth in it, even if it's not completely true. There's a young couple, and they're super excited about getting married. They're just ecstatic, but they're also a little apprehensive. Like all couples, this two becoming one makes them nervous. And in fact, both of them have specific issues they need to deal with, they they need to work through. So the the groom goes to his father and the bride goes to uh, her mom with these issues. And the groom goes to the father and says, Dad, I have this problem and here's what it is. My feet stink. I have really stinky feet. What should I do? And I'm nervous on our wedding night. Um, you know, my, my, my wife, my bride is just going to be grossed out. So the father had good advice. He said, this is what you need to do. Every night before you get in the bed with your wife, you got to go and you have to wash your feet. Wash them real good and then dry them off. And then as soon as you're dry, put on clean socks and you'll be good. So he said, okay, I'll do that. And he did that throughout the beginning of his marriage and it was, worked marvelously. Well, the bride-to-be had a, had a problem as well, and her problem was her breath stank. She had morning breath. So she goes to her mom, and she says, I'm really nervous about the wedding night. My breath stinks when I wake up. And the mom's like, no problem. Everyone is morning. She says, no, mine's really bad. So the mom gave her, her daughter advice and said, well, as soon as you wake up, I want you to run to the bathroom, brush your teeth, and after you brush your teeth, go get back in bed. She said, okay. She did that, and for the first six months of their marriage, things, worked, just, things just worked perfectly, magnificently. And then about six months into their marriage, the husband woke up, and to his horror, he realized he lost his sock. One of his socks came off. So he's scooting around, and he's looking around for his sock, and he wakes his bride up, he wakes his wife up, and she goes, and it startles her, and before she can think, she's, what's the matter? And the husband tells his wife, I've lost my sock, and I think you've eaten it. <laughs> so, <clears throat> so you can kind of see where, where that goes. Here's the bottom line, and here's the theme. We're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1 to 9. And you need your Bibles, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one close to you. Because this is the foundation. This is the backbone to everything that I'm going to be talking about. I'll give us a second to get there. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Let's start in verse 1. We're going to skip over to Ephesians chapter 3. And here's my goal. Once again, I'm in a unique situation. 
It's not till yesterday that I know I'm going to be preaching on marriage. The Lord's been laying something very specifically on my heart. And I want to tie in Ephesians 3 to 1 Corinthians 7. I want to take a very specific biblical principle dealing with marriage, and I want to tie it into a more general, absolutely foundational principle that every person in here has, has to understand if they're going to grow in sanctification, if they're going to grow in their relationship with the Lord. But first, for the very specific biblical principle coming from 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul's talking to the church and he's answering a question and he starts off in verse 1 and he says this, Now concerning the things about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to touch a woman, but because of immoralities, each man is to have his own wife and each woman is to have her own husband. The husband must, must fulfill his duty to his wife and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And like And likewise, also the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Stop depriving one another, except by agreement, for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer and come together again, so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. And I want to stop there a moment. The Bible makes it absolutely clear in 1 Corinthians 7, the first six verses, that marriage is great. In fact, it says marriage is great, and we have to fulfill specific duties to our spouse. And in this one particular section, the Bible makes it clear, if you're married, and this is point number one if you're taking notes, if you're married, 1 Corinthians 7 says, have sex often. Now, I know the men here, they're like, man, John should preach more often. We need to get him up here more. But the Bible makes it clear why. It says, why should you come together? Why should you uh, have this union? And the Bible makes it clear there, it's because we have lack of self-control, or as the Bible makes it, clear, makes it absolutely clear that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of control. And then he goes even more specific in verses 7 to 9. He gets very specific. Paul in verse 7 says this. He says, yet. And yet, in, in, in biblical hermeneutics, it's kind of like hold the boat. He just said it's great to be married. It says it's great to be married because you lack self-control. Therefore, you should give yourself to your partner if you're married. But then he says, wait a second. And this is critical. He says, I wish that all men were even as myself am single. However, each man has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. But I say to the unmarried and to the widows that it is good for them if they remain even as I am. Well, how's Paul? Paul's single. He just says it's great to be married. In fact, it's best for you to be married so that Satan doesn't get a handle in your, in your life because you lack self-control. But he says, but if you can remain single. But if they do not have self-control, let them marry for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. And that kind of takes all the romance out of marriage. I just want to speak frankly with you for a moment. In fact, as I was studying this late last night, I thought about Missy and I. Missy and I are coming up on our 10th year reunion. Now, some of you in, in this service are like, big deal, we've been together you know, 110 years and 60 years, and I understand that's not my, but it's a huge milestone for Missy and I, we're pumped up. In fact, we're going to take a visit. It's June 26th, and I'm all nervous 
because June 26th uh, is right around the time of our annual meeting. In fact, it is through our annual meeting, and we've been planning a little vacation. I'm going to miss the annual meeting, so I'm not going to be there. Everyone knows because it's my 10-year anniversary. Hopefully, that's okay. Um, But Paul kind of takes all the romance out of it. You know, I was going to work on this nice poem I was going to write to Missy about how beautiful she is, and she usually sits there. I wish she was here so she could hear this. She was sleeping by the time I got home. But, uh, you know, just tell her just what a great wife she is. But now I think based on Paul's instruction, I'm going to be like, listen, I married you because I have no self-control. You know, let's go have sex. (laughs) That's basically what the Bible says. If you lack self-control, get married. Get married. But it's better for you to be single. But why would he tell me it's better for me to be single? Why, Why is Paul made? That's a question we have to answer. Why? He tells us it's good to be married. This is our marriage. It's good to be married. But basically, the reason you're getting married is because you can't control yourself. So it's better for you to be single. He doesn't leave us hanging. And I know this isn't going the direction you thought it would. But let's, Paul answers, his, answers this question. Why does Paul say it's better to remain single? In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 32, and I really hope you're tracking with me. Go there to verse 32. Listen to what he says. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 32 now. He says, I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife. I want to stop there. You see Paul's heart. He says, church, if you can, and very few of you can, if you can, I want you to remain single because that's best. Why? So you can focus completely and totally on the Lord. You get that? The Bible says that Christ talks about himself being the vine and us being the branches and being plugged in. If you're not plugged into the vine, you don't stand a chance in this world. And he says, church, if you can remain single, do it. But very few of you can. And here's why, I tell, that, here's why he suggests God through Paul says, hey, it's best to remain single, but if you can't do it, and listen to this. He says, the interests are divided. An unmarried woman, and I'm, I'm in verse 34 now, And his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I am saying this for your own good, but not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way, in undivided devotion to the Lord. Undivided devotion to the Lord. I want this message to be one of the most encouraging messages you guys have heard. If you're here and you're single, you should be saying, praise God. Paul himself is praising God in his singleness. He's saying, I can be completely, 100% devoted, undivided, 100% devoted to God and what he's called, called me to do. Praise God in your singleness. They say, well, where does that leave us who are married? Well, Paul makes it clear here, you should be praising God because you're married. There's nothing wrong with that. He says, you're you're in with the majority. Nine out of ten people are married. I looked that statistic up. He said, you're in the majority. Praise God. God created marriage. Paul's done a masterful job explaining biblical marriage. God created it so we wouldn't be lonely. He created it for us so we could have union. Praise God in that. But here's what Paul wants the church to hear. 
And you got to get this. Marriage is hard. It's hard. He's saying, I'd rather you be single. It'd be easier if you were single. But the bottom line is most of you can't handle it. So he's saying, get married. But if you choose to get married, you've got to get this. It's hard. It's really hard because now you've got to be... Your, your number one purpose for me creating you on, for planet Earth is so you can be plugged into the vine. But now you go and get married and now you're divided. And it's going to be hard. Why? Because marriage can distract us from being plugged into the vine. And if that happens, you're sunk. You're sunk. If you're here this morning and you're not plugged into the vine and your marriage is hurting and your marriage is struggling, it's, you're not plugged into the vine. You can't do it. Paul's saying it's hard. See, I'd rather you be single, but bottom line is you can't get plugged in. I have replaced my sink in my home. I got a sink, and, and it's not a new sink. The sink came out of my parents' house, and it's got a garbage disposal to it. So I actually kind of got married to a garbage disposal. My, my family married a garbage. We, we got rid of our old sink, and we brought this new one into our home, and it has a garbage disposal. We put it in the sink, and everything works well. Uh, the sink will work without the garbage disposal being hu- uh, plugged into the electric. I talked to some people that know mechanics better than I do. I said, do I need to really plug this in? Because we don't need a garbage disposal. We don't use it. Will it foul stuff up if I just leave it attached and don't use it? And every one of them said it has to be attached. You have to use it. It'll get corroded. It'll get stuck. It'll get rusted. You just got to exercise it. You got to use it. You need to get electric Uh, to the bottom of your sink so you can exercise that garbage disposal. So I did. And every now and then, even though we don't use it, Missy's not in the habit, about once a week we turn it on, it goes around, it breaks its, you know, it kind of gets itself unstuck and it's being used. And hopefully we'll have it a long time. See, in marriage, Paul's saying, listen, if you're married, great. There's awesome benefits to being married. But he says, make sure you're connected to the vine because if you're not, if you're not, it's just not going to work. It's going to be like that garbage disposal. It's just going to wear out to lack of use. You say, can I support this biblically, this concept of marriage is hard? I believe I very clearly can. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 34, once again, Paul says, your interests are devoted. He calls us to be fully focused on the Lord so that we can please Him. And secondly, he says, focus on your spouse so that you can please them. My uncle, I went to go see him last Monday, Memorial Day weekend, we went up to see him, and he's in a rehab center. He's 91 years old. It's my great uncle. And he's been married over 70 years, he and his wife. And I've never heard him say marriage is hard. He's never come out and say that. But by stories, you ask him, what's the secret to being married over 70 years? That's over half of a, half of a century. That's awesome. So you just got to stick in there. And my uncle's one of those guys where he says so little, spent four hours with him, and he probably spoke two sentences. His wife does all, wife's 91 too, and she does all the talking. Well, about two weeks ago, he was in his house. They both live in their own house. And he was coming up from his basement steps. And right when he got to the top, he wasn't holding on to the railing. And he fell, and he fell down the steps. 
And I don't know how he got to the hospital. I'm missing that detail. But he got to the hospital. His wife doesn't drive. Somehow he got to the hospital. I can only assume he drove himself. He went to the hospital. He checked himself in. They checked him out. And, they, and he talked them into letting him go home. My leg hurt. My arm hurts. But I really got to get home. And you say, why? And once again, he didn't tell you, but you just see, I got to get home and take care of my wife. She can't drive. She can't take care of the house. She doesn't do the cooking. I got to get care to take care of my wife. Well, he doesn't sleep through that night from the night he gets released. And his wife convinces him, you got to go back to the hospital. He goes back. And this 91-year-old man has a broken femur, not fractured. It's broken half. So he put a steel bar in there and screw it together, and he's walking on a completely broken femur. They don't make men like that anymore. In addition to that, his arm, his arm is sh- his 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 uh, elbow is shattered. It's not broke. He's like my arm hurts and my leg hurts. That's because your femur's broken in two, and your and your uh, elbow shattered. Oh, and on top of that, we just learned when we there's a fractured hip. We didn't even know. Let's just fry it. Not completely broken. There's a little cracked. And my dad asked him, and I'm sitting there. He doesn't say a word. And my dad asks him, why did you leave the hospital? You don't have a completely broken in half leg and not know it. You just don't. Why did you possibly go back home? Why did you downplay it? And he said this. This is exactly what he said. I wrote it down in my notes uh, when he said it. I had my Bible there. And he said this. Sometimes you just got to tough it out. I'm like, What? How about that? See, Paul's saying this, marriage is tough. And just sometimes you've got to tough it out. But here's the deal. If you're trying to tough it out on your own, it's not going to work. If you're trying to tough your marriage out on your own strength, you're going to break down. I was in Paul's shop, and this was years ago. And it was one of those times where the Lord just spoke to me. This is not an accident. This is a God-ordained thing that I'm going to share with you. I'm in Paul's shop, and it's just me up there, and a bird flies in. His shop, if you've been to the Mall Fair's house, has two huge garage doors and then a door, and everything's open in the summer to get some air through, and then the, his wood shop's in the attic. And a bird flew in and flew up to the attic. And, of course, it gets stuck there, and there's, there's one window in this side. There may be a window here, but the bird kept trying to run into the window to get out. And, of course, the window's down. There, Oh, the window's up, but there's a fan in the other part. So he just keeps running into the window, running into the window, running into the window. I go over to try and help it because no one likes to see that, this bird just running into the window, breaking itself apart. And so I go over to try and grab it, but it won't let me touch it. It keeps fluttering all over, and it won't let me get close to it. Every time I get close, it goes away from me. Till finally... After about 10 minutes, bashing and, and bashing its head up against the window hundreds of times, it finally gives up, and it just goes to the, there's a table there, a bench there, it just kind of goes down. And then here's where it happens, this God-ordained situation. I go over, and I just pick this bird up, and it doesn't fight me at all. It's not dead. It's still alive, but it is completely exasperated. It's done. And I pick it up. And I carry it downstairs like this, not even grasping it hard because it is so exhausted and so tired. It's just letting me have my way with it. Carry it downstairs. I lay it in the grass. I step back, and no more than 30 seconds later, it, it, it gets up and it flies into the, the nearest tree and it hangs out there, and then it flies away. And what an awesome lesson that taught me. 
I'll remember that the rest of my life. See, it doesn't grip you the way it gripped me because God made that for me. He's like, John, why are you trying to do this on your own? Come and let me help you. Let me carry you through this. And the same is true in marriage. You know it's going to be hard. See, one of the things the church doesn't do good enough jobs, if you choose to get married because you can't control yourself, know this, it's going to be hard. Real hard. Paul goes far to say, hey, I wished you could be single. But if you can't, and you choose to do this thing, it's going to be hard. And if you're not letting me carry you, you're not going to make it. You're not. So Paul comes in here. He tells us, listen, it's best to be single, but if you can't, get, if you can't then he says, listen, don't be divided. Be wholly focused on the Lord and Him alone because in and of yourself, you can't do it. You can't do it. I want to give you an example. And this is where the Lord's... First Corinthians 7. Lord placed that on my heart last night. I'm going through my devotions. I've been, in fact, I just finished up Corinthians. Of course, I didn't know I was going to be preaching on marriage till last night. The Lord had me in 1 Corinthians, just wrapped up 1 Corinthians. Paul calls at one time. I'm like, yes. I remember this piece of scripture. I really wanted an opportunity to share it, and the Lord gave me an opportunity. But what I'm going to share with you from now to the end of my time is something the Lord's been laying on my heart for about two months. And I hope you can just grasp it a little bit. Robin Abramitis got it. She doesn't know it, but she's got something that took me a real long time. In fact, I didn't fully understand it until about two months ago. If I can just convey a little bit, of, little bit of that to you, I guarantee you there's not a single person or a married person that's not going to leave here more encouraged than when they came in. Since this is a marriage campaign, I want to tie it in the marriage. I want you just to envision that there's three married men here. In fact, if you will, you can pretend it's our last day of our marriage conference. And I'm the senior pastor, and I'm wrapping up our marriage conference. And I have three men here, all Christians, And I really want to end the marriage conference on a great note. So I brought these three biblical men, these three leaders in the church, these three guys that have marriages that just absolutely everyone looks up to. And I want to ask the men, why is it you love your wife? And I want them to just give some biblical strong answers. So I come up to the first man and I said, you know, elder so-and-so, why do you love your wife? And he says, well, my my wife is awesome. My wife respects me. My wife from the day I married her, has been putting my needs first. She, she cares for me. She cares for my children. She's a great cook. She's a great homekeeper. I would, I would die without her. I love my wife because she treats me great. And everyone's like, yeah, good job. And then I go to the second person. I say, why do you love your wife, deacon so-and-so, servant so-and-so? He says, I love my wife because she is a biblical woman. She's a Proverbs 31 wife. She loves the Lord. She's a leader in, in my home. She's a leader in the church. She's an example to all the young ladies who are not married. I love my wife because she loves the Lord. And I was like, yeah, great, good job. And I get to this third guy. And I, I ask him the question. I say, why do you love your wife. And his lips quivering. 
He's bawling on the, just bawling all over himself. Everyone's like, man, what's he going to say? Does his wife has cancer? What's, what's he going to tell us? He's got everyone's attention. And then he says this, I was born in sin. In sin, my mom conceived me. In sin, every thought I've had from the time I was born has been evil. And the pastor's like, whoa! This is the end of our marriage series, man. We're getting pumped up. Why do you love your wife? And the man just says, I love my wife because Christ loves me. Period. A pastor doesn't know where to go with that. See, we don't love. We're incapable of loving our wife because we have no concept of biblical love. We have no concept of, of what it means to be justified or what it means to be redeemed. And these are foundational things that if the church doesn't get, what's the point to a marriage campaign? Paul, once again, and all, Pastor Paul, our senior pastor, one of the greatest teachers I know. He knows the Bible better than anyone I know, including the guys I study, MacArthur, Piper, the guys on the radio. He, could, he knows the Bible. And he spent five weeks walking you through. He's like, you do this, 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 and this. You will have a good marriage. Why? Because the Bible says so. And Paul knows the Bible. But this is my point. You can't do this unless you have a concept of how much Christ loves you. We don't understand justification. See, in the church, this is what the Lord's been laying on my heart. It's not an accident I'm preaching this morning. In the church, this song was unbelievable. In the church, we look at justification as a cross and nails and thorns and blood. And, and by doing that, we dumb down justification. We belittle our Savior. You say, how can you say that? Can you take the... No, I couldn't take the cross. But thousands of people have. Are we putting our Savior on the same plane as thousands of other people that have taken the cross? Not my God. I'm not willing to, to give it all up for something thousands of others have done. You say, but wait a second. Christ is different because all the others that died on the cross were thieves and, and criminals. That's true. But we just celebrated Memorial Day and hundreds of thousands have died for, for me. Are you saying our Christ is the same as, as the rest of the thousands of others that have laid their life down for my freedoms? And No. See, that song got it. Jesus Christ bought us with a price. He was the only one that could buy us with that price because He's the only one that's God's Son and He's the only one that had never broken fellowship with God. See, it's not all about the blood and the gore. That's an illustration Christ God gave us so we can understand the price that was paid. Understand the price was paid. Let me explain it to you this way. Most of you in here are fathers or mothers. I want, two weeks ago, and this illustration falls horribly short, but two weeks ago I'm at City Island, and my Alana, my two-year-old, now I have Caroline and, 
Johnny, but I'm going to focus on my Alana, my two-year-old. She got frightened. Something terrified her. I don't know what it was. It might as well have been a lion coming to devour her or someone evil coming to do something evil. And she runs to me. And she's running to me, and I, and I eat this up as the man. And I go to her, and I embrace her, and she all her 30-pound bodies just placed into my chest, and I wrap her up, and she just buries herself into me. And that, that's just awesome as a father. I'm her protector. I have the power to do that, and she knows it. If I can just get the daddy, everything's going to be all right. I want to change that scenario a little bit. I'm at City Island, and this is hard for me to get through, but I'm at City Island, and it may set some of you back, but I'm going to do it. I'm at City Island. She's 100 yards from me. She's playing. I'm watching her. And all of a sudden, all evil, all evil starts to encompass her. And she's not sure what's happening yet, but then... As it gets closer and closer, she begins to realize what's going on. And before she can sprint to me, and I see exactly what's going on, she sees me looking at her, and then as all evil is encompassing on her, all the rapists, all the murders, everything that's going to devour her and tear her up is surrounding her. And she comes running to me, and the evil grabs her and starts just having its way with her. And instead of me running towards her with my ability to protect her or thwart the evil from her, I turn my back to her and walk away. I said, you you would never do that. And and you're right, I wouldn't. And I wouldn't do that especially if you told me, hey, you turn your back and you walk away from her. And the reason you're going to do that is so that those that are raping your two-year-old daughter, those of you that are, are, are... are abusing her and tearing her limb to limb. Those, those that are just absolutely molesting her, every, every horrible thing, I'm going to turn away so that they can have life as they murder my daughter, my Alana. And you see, that falls horribly short of God and Jesus because Alana and I have had broken fellowship. I can give you story and story of where Alana sinned against me and sinned against God, and that's broken our fellowship. And that's why every illustration I give is going to fall grossly short of what took place on the cross. And it's not the blood and it's not the nails. See, Jesus Christ, who had never broken fellowship with God the Father for all eternity past, took on our sin. And I don't need to give you illustrations of sin. You know how gross your sin is. And he took it all himself. And it's not the blood and the thorn and the spear. It's the sin. And he took it on himself. And then here's the part that if we as a church just understood minuscule, if we understood this just a little bit, then our problems in marriage, most of them be taken care of. When our sin went on Christ, God the Father turned his back, broke fellowship for the first time in all eternity with his son as our sin was placed on Christ. I already know you don't understand that, and I know I don't understand that, because if I did, I'd be on the ground weeping. We can't. I wouldn't be, 
The one preacher, every time he mentioned the word redeemed, that means I've been bought by a price. What price? Christ. He would just start crying. He maybe had a, a little, and it's not an emotional, I'm going to prove to you how spiritual I am. But I know we don't understand it by our actions. See, if we understood what it meant to be justified, if we understood what it meant to redeem, we wouldn't have this thought in our marriage. We wouldn't have this thought in our marriages, you know what? She, my wife or my husband just hasn't really lived up to my expectations, so I really don't have to love them. Because we've never earned Christ's love. Christ unconditionally loved us. He redeemed us. He bought us. And if you're a man in Ephesians 5, it tells you, love your wife like Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church? Well, he died for the church. He took all the church's sin on himself so that the church could be saved. And see, I wouldn't have men coming into the office. Paul and I wouldn't have people saying, you know what, you don't understand because you're right, I don't understand your specific circumstances, but I absolutely am coming to an understanding of what Christ has done for us. I don't fully understand it yet, and I probably never will, but I got a glimpse of justification. And if you have a glimpse of justification, and if you have a a glimpse of what Christ did for you, then you know what? I think you're going to work a little bit harder. You're going to work a little bit harder to love your wife. You see that, church? You see how all this ties together? I'm out of time, and, but if you guys get that concept of justification, you're going to have a great marriage. All the details are going to fall on. You have to, if you don't know what to do, of course, you can't do it. The stuff Paul's talking about, critical. But if you don't know the price Christ paid for you, you're just going to give up and not do the hard work that is necessary to make marriage work. I really only have two points, and I've got away from my, my notes. But my two points are this. If you're not married, before you get married, know that marriage is hard work. And if you're not willing to do it, don't get married. Just don't do it. If you are married, Paul talked about a covenant. You're in a covenant. Not between you and your wife, it's between you and God, and that's unbreakable. So know that you are called to do the hard work. How are you going to do the hard work in your own power? No. You're going to do it in the power of Christ and his work for you on the cross. That's the bottom line. That's the bottom line. If you do not understand justification, you're not going to understand biblical marriage. Let's come before the Lord. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your truths. They're hard concepts. They're concepts that I'm still trying to put together, and I just hope through the Holy Spirit you somehow miraculously are speaking into the lives of those that are here this morning. I pray that the Holy Spirit is speaking to those that are married. I started off in in 1 Corinthians 7. Paul makes it clear, don't get married because it's hard. But there's a lot of people in here that are married And they know it's hard. But yet you've given us an example through your son Jesus Christ. And Ephesians 5 makes it clear. We're to love each other as Christ loved the church. Help us in the midst of our hard marriages to 
to love our spouse as Christ loved me. I do pray if anyone here doesn't understand justification, they come up and speak to me before they leave. I pray that if they do understand justification, that they apply it to their marriages. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Our time's up. You're dismissed.